Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that as we continue in your presence today, that everything that is said and done will bring glory to you and will exalt the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that every time we hear your word, we are transformed and we are changed. And I thank you, Lord, that we become more like you every time we take the word and we live the word. We become the living word in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that every heart is ready to receive. Every mind is quieted and ready to hear the word of God. Every ear is ready to hear. And I thank you, Lord, that there is no distractions or disturbances in this meeting today so that the word of God and the will of God can be done fully in this service today. We thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Take that with you. Glory to God. Welcome to church. Good to have you with us this morning. Glad you could make it. Hallelujah. I know that uh, this, is the, this is the only place I would want to be right now. Amen. Well, last week... I ministered and uh, I, I trust that we will have some moments at the end of the service that we can sing these songs again um, because of the message that I'm going to preach to you today and I'm going to minister to you and I trust that you will receive it completely as the word of God, um, even though I am the messenger of God. I was going to show you a letter, but I just feel led by the Holy Spirit that I should go straight into my message today. And so last week I started with the, the title of my message was Beloved in Bed or in Red. And I want to just make sure that you understand what, why I titled it like that. Because you're either in bed with the world or you're covered by the blood of Jesus. If you're in bed with the world, the blood of Jesus is still there to cover you, but you don't receive the covering. So you're in bed with the world. So you're either in bed or you're in red. Hallelujah. If you're in red, the blood of Jesus covers everything that you, that you are about to do or will do in your life. This position of covered in red is a posture and a living reality of the real you, the spirit you. It's a... It's a positioning, it's a posture, it's a place that you take, it's a stand that you make, that I'm going to be covered in the blood of Jesus rather than be in bed with the world. Actually, Jesus put it quite clearly and quite plainly. He said, you can't have both. You can't be in bed with the world and serve me and live with me. You must do one 
odiada. So, you are born to live like Jesus. If you are born again, you should be living like Jesus. But we often, often, often as people, we settle for getting into bed with the world system and the world system ends up motivating us, driving us and helping, making our decisions for us actually because of the influence that the system has upon us. I don't want to say too much about this today, but if you're in the world system, it's idolatry. It's idolatry because you worship a system more than you worship God. So you're either in bed or you're in red. Amen. And so over the last number of weeks, I've been teaching and my focus has been on the real you, the person that is in red. The real you. Your spirit is the real you and contacts God and should direct your every part of your life. So remember, I'm gonna have you say it again today with me. Remember I said the spirit is the, your spirit man is the real you. So let's say it together. My spirit, My spirit is the real me. The real me. I'm gonna have us say it again. My spirit, My spirit is the real me. So even though if you look at pictures of myself, me, when I was in my 20s, compared to the pictures you see of me now, there's quite dramatic change. I certainly had a lot more hair then, you know, and there was quite a lot more youthfulness in my face. I didn't have wrinkles and other things that come with age. So, but the person that's inside of me has not deteriorated like the person on the outside of me. The person inside of me has grown stronger and stronger and has become uh, much more awake and alive to the things of God. And I follow him much more than I followed him when I was in my 20s. Even though my whole life was committed to God in my 20s, my spirit man has grown. That's why I say in Jesus and in, in, the, in the realm of the spirit, spirit beings, your spirit, that's why God talks about elders in the church that they, should be, that they should be respected and honored because actually their spirit man is growing. They're getting stronger in God. Well, they should be. Um, and, and, and I've read to you and I've taught you and some of the scriptures I read as little children, young men and, and older men because there is a different scope of growth in your, in your life. So uh, I want you to put up the slide, the circle slide for me, please, on the screen. So this, this slide just gives you an idea. I've used this before in many, many years ago. But this gives you an idea of what I've been talking about. So we start off with covenant. And you touch, you integrate ways. You find out the strategic intentions of God. You enter into divine productivity which goes back to covenant. So I've shown you and I've indicated to you that this framework is a framework that you can apply to any relationship, a work relationship, a marriage relationship, but particularly your relationship with God. So your relationship with God starts with covenant. 
and then it goes to touch, and then you begin to integrate your ways. Then because you're integrating ways, strategic intentions are revealed to you. And then God enters into into the whole scope of divine productivity. And then divine productivity leads to a position of covenant again. And so if I go to 2 Peter, and I'm going to just read through the scripture again for us this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, the divine nature, the real you now, whether you know it or not, whether you live it or not, the real you is a divine real you. Because the real you, the spirit man that you hosts, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, they live in your spirit. It is a mystery that you and I cannot understand that God himself would live in your spirit when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. So by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through through these you may be takers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It is clear that this world is in a, in a state of decay. The whole earth, the whole earth systems, everything about the world is in a state of corruption. It's busy decaying. It's busy having, we might think that because of our, our social order and that we haven't had a significant world war or a significant war that has captivated the whole earth in a long time, that, that actually we're in a good place as a, as a planet. But actually our planet is decaying more and more. And I'm not talking about uh, the, green, the green kind of decay, that we've got to save the planet. I'm talking about it doesn't actually matter what man does to try and save the planet. The earth is in decay because sin is, is ever increasing in the earth. And so... Um, if you can put up the next slide with about touch, and then I asked for the second slide. So this slide here is what I said to you last week. If I use this framework on any scripture in the Bible, I should be able to see the, the touch component, the relationship component of how this works in the scripture. So I used the, the, the scripture in Peter. Touch is in grace and peace. And today, I'm going to talk to you about touch. The whole, the rest of my message is going to be about touch. But, um, and so integration of ways is the divine power, as that scripture says, has his divine power has given us all things. Strategic intentions is life and godliness, because if you have a life and godliness of God, he reveals strategic intentions to you. 
and divine productivity is his exceeding great and precious promises. And his exceeding great and precious promises come to you and they become real to your life. And God can do things with his promises to you that you can't do for yourself. Amen. And so, and then of course, covenant is partakers of the divine nature. But today, I'm going to talk about touch. And so the reason why many years ago, the Lord gave me that, that circle is because you, never, you, never can, you can't live a life of living in God without touch. So while we were worshiping this Lord, the Lord this morning, we were touching God with our thanksgiving, with our praise, we were worshiping the Lord. And so I'm going to ask the question for you. How does your spirit man touch God? Well, the above scripture that I've just read to you indicates clearly that we touch God because He's given us grace and peace. If you don't have grace and peace, you can't touch God. Grace, His mercy, His peace is really what gives you the ability to touch God. The Bible is quite clear that actually you have, by His grace, He gave you faith to get born again. Yes? By His grace, He gave you faith to get born again. When you receive that mercy that God has given us through Jesus Christ, grace and peace is multiplied to you. So your spirit man touches God, touches God through grace and peace. Now grace and peace that you touch God with in your spirit man is also something that you will experience in your natural man. So grace and peace, and this is going to be a theme through everything that's going to happen next weekend as I talk about what God is doing to restore relationships in this season. There's a reason why God is uh, restoring relationships. And the reason that God is restoring relationships is because there are things that are happening in the world system that is coming to your door. And your relationship must be restored to a place of health with Him, God the Father, not a place of everything as, as usual in the world system. If we think that COVID is over and done with and we're not going to have anything come into our lives again like that for another decade or another 20 or 30 years, you are mistaken because it might not be another disease, but it certainly could be a financial meltdown. It could be a war that is generated outside of Russia and Ukraine and other people start to get involved in the war and suddenly a war that is a regional conflict becomes a global conflict. Because the, the enemy of God is actively at work as the prince of darkness and he has a legitimate 
he has a legitimate right to influence act- activities and influence things that are happening on the earth and use the lust of men for greed, for power, for all manner of things, to use the lust of men for his own advantage. And certainly he does not have what, he does not operate in the ways of God, but he, what he does is he copies the ways of God. So he uses people's anger and uses people's uh, envy and uses people's greed to fuel action. And so people become violent and people become, they start wars. I mean, what good reason, what good reason would Vladimir Putin have in invading Ukraine? What did Ukraine do to initiate any kind of aggressive behavior towards Russia that he would just decide, I'm going to invade Ukraine? Come on. I mean, if you know anything about global politics, you will know that Ukraine did nothing. They, they were just living their own nationality. Yes, there was corruption in the government. I promise you there's corruption in every government, in every, every in all through the world. So, but they had a, they had a democratic vote. They voted a president into power. He, he promised he was going to crack down on, on corruption. And what happened was that their identity as a nationality and what they were doing immediately threatened his autocratic dictatorship that is, is Russia. So he said, I don't like that your behavior is challenging my authority. I'm going to take you out. And so he didn't succeed in decimating Ukraine in two months or two weeks like he thought he would, but he, he's still going about it. And so China's buying all the oil from Russia. China's buying oil from the USA. The USA have shut their pipelines. And if you think that the, the spirits that are at work in the world system are not gonna come to your doorstep, it is already. If you go to the gas station today, I know I drive a diesel vehicle. It costs me 28 rand per liter of diesel. If, you drive, if you're gonna put petrol in your car, it's 26 rand a liter. Who would have thought? I mean, I was just making a comparison when I was in the military, my whole month's pay was 26 rand something. And I could drive my little VW Beetle that I had. I could have four guys in it and we all contributed money and we could drive backwards and forward to Johannesburg and back to Bloemfontein with that little Beetle on my 26 rand a month pay. Now it's 26 rand for a liter. Wow. Okay, that shows a bit like how old I am, but you know. (laughs) But things are happening in the world system and nobody saw COVID coming. Nobody. I'm, I'm not being political about what I'm saying now. I'm just making, stating a fact. If you believe 
the Biden messaging that's coming out of America, they are not in a recession. And they will also tell you that inflation in America is, in, is transitory. They've been saying that for a year and a half. But what's happening in reality is that the people in America are paying double for everything, especially gas, more than double, and everything costs more in America. And so, but they deny that they are in. So what is the economic? This is a global economic. If you go to a school of economics or you get, do an MBA or you do whatever, they will tell you two quarters of, of uh, uh, um, negative growth in the GDP of a country equals a recession. America is officially in recession. But if you listen to the Biden guys, they will tell you that's, we're not in recession. So just because you choose to have a certain narrative doesn't make something different. So you can say things about things, doesn't make it not come to your doorstep. And we feel it. The reason our price is so high is because oil is now scarce in the earth. Why is scarce oil scarce in the earth? Because America turned the taps off. Saudi Arabia is running at full capacity of oil production. All of those Eastern European, OPEC countries, now we're all dependent on them and Russia and various people. And if you think all of these little things that are happening, so-called, well, that's in China and that's in Russia and that's in America, that's not going to affect us yet. It already is. It already is. So there is, there is things happening in the earth and God wants us to be restored in relationship with Him because you need to trust Him more than anybody. You can't trust your job. You can't trust the economy. You can't trust me. You can't trust anybody. You've got to trust God. You can trust what I say about God's Word. And you can trust God's Word. But that's where your relationship has got to be restored with Him. That you trust Him more than the system. The enemy of God is after everybody's life through institutions. He has disguised his influence in your life through institutions. He has disguised his involvement in your life through the institution of government. We will tell you how you can educate your children. We will tell you what, that you can't actually discipline your child with, with a smack. The Bible says you've got to smack your children. The government says you're not allowed to. The enemy of God is using the institution of government to prevent you from obeying God's word. Who are you going to trust? The institution or God? That's a law in South Africa, if you didn't know it. The law in South Africa is you may not discipline your child. Can't happen in schools and you yourself may not discipline your child with any kind of smack or any kind of smack their bum, you know. The Bible says, spoil the rod and spare the child. Spare the rod and spoil the child. In other words, smack their bum. But the government says, you're not allowed to because you're committing violence against your child. So God, who are we going to trust as who's the, who's, 
because this is a whole theory that has been advocated by Dr. Spock from many years ago, many, many years ago that, you, that you've got to raise your child in, in a certain way and not do certain things. And so now it's become institutionalized. Amen. So how does your mind and your body touch God so it can integrate weights? Well, first of all, you have to be aware that your spirit man, the real you, must receive grace and peace from God. And the real you must come out and touch your body and your mind. Otherwise, it's, it's just staying in your spirit. And so many Christians live like this. They don't know how to develop their spirit man. They don't know how to develop their spirit man. And so they don't know how to touch God. I'm going to, I'm going to start our weekend's worth of teachings next weekend. I'm starting it today. I actually started last week, but God wants me to go big on the touch. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 in the Amplified Bible. We know it well, but it's worth reading. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. In other words, dedicate your body. Am I reading anything that's not in the Bible here? I don't care which version you read it in, it says the same thing. Dedicate your body. Presenting all of your members and your faculties in all of your physical body and all of your abilities as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God. So when you give your body to God, He's pleased by it. Which is your reasonable, so that means if you're thinking rationally, you say, I don't want God to control my body. So if he's saying it's your reasonable, that means your spirit man is telling your mind this is reasonable to control what your body does, which is your reasonable, intelligent, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So here you have your spirit man and your body in agreement. They're both doing the same thing because your spirit man will always do what God says. Your body and your mind will do what you say. Your spirit man will always do what God says. So your spirit man is always trying to tell you what God says. But if your mind and your body is always doing something else, then your body and your mind will dominate what you do rather than listen to your spirit man. That's why we have to develop the real you. And so how, what prevents us? Do not be conformed to this world, the systems of this world. Don't be conformed to it. This age that we live in here, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. So the custom of the world is you've got to go to work from eight to five. The custom of the world is that you've got to network. The custom of the world is you've got to have an education that is world, a world approved. And the world approved education says it's got to be done like this and like that. And so everything that the world around you, if you go to subcultures within a greater culture, there are language that, language that you use in a subculture. 
that affects you, that has an, an impact on you. So don't be adapted to your external superficial customs, and be, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. Now, what is the new ideals and the new attitude? The real you, the spirit man you that's born again. So that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable or perfect in His sight for you. So people often ask me, how do I know what the perfect will of God is for my life? So they want to know. But what they want to know is they want somebody to prophesy over them or they want somebody to tell them or they want to say that I, I know the will of God because I have a desire to do something in my life. Well, you can't know what the will of God is unless you have transformed the renewing of your mind and you've given your body as a sacrifice to God. Once you've done those things and you're not adapting yourself to the custom of the world, now you can know what the will of God is. So you touch God, you integrate your ways with God and then strategic intentions becomes known to you. That's the will of God, specifically the will of God for your life. And so I know when I teach this, I know that this challenges people's current status of where they're living because in the immediate, in the immediate place where you're living, you have to be thinking to yourself, have I done all that? The probable answer is no. Maybe you could say, I've done a measure of that. Well, then you have a measure of God's will in your life. To the measure you don't have the will of God in your life, that gives access to the enemy of God to make you more comfortable with all of the superficial customs of the world. And so then you are in conflict all the time with wanting to do the will of God and doing what everybody else is doing. And so the Bible says a person who's in a place where I want to do the will of God, but I'm also doing what everybody else is doing is like a man on a ship tossed to and fro, doesn't know which way they're gonna go. And it will just go wherever the wind blows because if I'm doing what people are doing, then well, I must go that way. And I've got to keep on following what people are doing. But actually your spirit man wants you to do what God does because you become, he becomes the anchor of your life. I'm going to read you that same passage of scripture from the message translation. It's very, very wonderful to read it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Going to work, going to college, going to school, going to places. Take that, your ordinary, everyday life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. You know what that means? That means, yeah, God, this is where I find myself in my life but I place it before you, tell me how you want me to change. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I just, Go with the flow, I don't have to think about it. It's just natural and normal for me to do this every day. Instead, 
fix your attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. If you fix your attention on God, He touches you. The difference between our walk with God and our God that we serve, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is that He's alive. Other people serve other gods, they're dead. Our God is alive. The difference between our God and any other God is that our God touches you. His presence touches you. His life, His peace and His grace touches you. And you can touch Him when you just want to be in His presence, you can touch Him. Hallelujah. So fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Quickly respond to it. Why must you quickly respond? What He wants from you is because if you don't quickly respond, your mind takes over and all the old habits that you've had in your life take over. And you say, no, 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 no. If I start thinking about it, then what God tells me to do, I don't want to do that. I'm fixed in my, in, I'm fixed in this way. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. I refuse to change quickly. Hallelujah. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. The only person that can mature you spiritually is God. Amen. Amen. And so the God in the church, the God in every believer should touch you. That's why going to church is an essential part of touching God because I touch the God in you. Now, if I touch the humanity in you, if I'm living God, then I can know what's human. I can know that this, what's driving you is not God. I can hear it out of your language. I can see it in your posture. I can see it in the positioning of your life. I can see it, that God's not the Lord of your life. You're still immature. You're dragged around by all the superficial customs of the world. You can say I'm preaching good today. How, how do I touch God on a regular basis? How do I touch God? And how do I let God touch me on a regular basis? Because if we don't allow God to touch us and we don't touch God on a regular basis, then we are in danger of always living according to the superficial customs. This this day-to-day humdrum life that drags us down to a level of immaturity. And so God did not, Jesus didn't come and die for you so that you can live like everybody else in the world. Jesus came to die for you so that you can live like Him. And so you can't live like Him if you don't know that He's touching you every day. And you need to touch Him every day. So let's be clear, the Holy Spirit is there to touch your life every day. Every moment of every day. He's there touching 
ready to touch you. The big question is, are you ready to touch Him? How do I do this? How do I touch God? Well, here's one way that we normally do this collectively, but we can do this privately. I for 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He also took the cups of supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. In other words, if you want to touch God on a regular daily basis, you can have communion every day and you can take the elements every day. You can have communion and then say, I'm touching your body and I'm touching the blood of Jesus and I'm remembering that you died for me. And today I choose the life of Christ that I have inside of me. I'm remembering that my life is a Christ life. You can touch God every day with communion. Why don't we, why don't we make a decision to do that this week? Individually, but as a collective. Why don't we do that? What do you say? From tomorrow morning, you wake up. You don't have to do it with anybody else. Just do it for yourself. You go and take a piece of bread. Just take a piece of, you can drink water as a representation of His blood or, or you can drink a little bit of tea or juice or something. You don't have to have juice. You can just have water. It's, it's symbolic. Take a bread and take a little bit of water and say, Lord, I'm remembering your death and I'm remembering that your body was broken for me and that your blood was shed for me. I choose to live in red and I don't go into bed. Today, I choose to live in the red of my life in Jesus Christ. I choose to live and serve and worship you. And I say, and I take this blood and I take this body and I say, I conform my mind. I transform my mind so that I'm not conforming to the world system. I'm not gonna get into bed with the world system. I give my body as a living sacrifice. I give it to you as my reasonable worship today. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you help me in the transforming of my mind. Because as I do this, I please you and I know the will of God for me as I please you. I've just given you a recipe for touching God every day this week. Because He's ready, waiting for you. If you come and do that, He's ready there to touch you. Are we in agreement? Have we got an agreement broadly that we can do this this week? So if you, if you can't remember what I've just done, go onto the YouTube, get to this part of my message and say, this is what I'm going to do, Lord. And you can do it with me as I speak it out. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this now. In fact, I'm gonna ask the guys if, you, if, they, if they can do a bit of work this afternoon and just take this little portion and put it as a separate YouTube, YouTube clip. Name it in, 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 in bed or in red. And let's have communion based on what I've just said this week until we get to the weekend. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. Let me tell you, this is the most powerful way that you can touch God this week and start to change your world because you're going to remember every day that the real you is the spirit man, you. Because you receive Jesus into your heart today, into your life today, into your world today, into everything. I'm telling you, it will make a big difference when you start your day like this. If you feel like your life is full of complicated issues, which some people might call sin or habits or kinds of things, you, in that moment, you can say, I repent. And so the rest of my day is blessed. And even though you might miss it in the rest of the day, you still start your day off in the right frame of mind that God can bless your day. Amen. Hallelujah. I wanna tell you that, that God continues to circumcise my heart. He continues to bring a place in my life and in my heart where I'm more interested in what He wants for my life than what I do. Because the more I follow Him, the greater I understand His plans and purposes and the more strength I have to pursue Him. Hallelujah. Often people can know what God's plan is for their life, but they don't have the strength to go through till the end. Hallelujah. It's interesting to me that Jesus, in His greatest moment, before His greatest triumph, He was breaking bread even with the one who betrayed Him. How is it that he, he knew that Judas was gonna betray him and yet he broke bread with the same person who betrayed him? What was that all about? Judas still had a chance to repent. In that moment, Judas still had a chance to repent. But he chose not to. And so I don't want to go into the whole message of who he, who he predestined, he foreordained, he also predestined. But... God knew that he would have, if he was given a chance, he still wouldn't repent. Amen. I'm not going to go any further than that. John 11, verse 41. Jesus is uh, at Lazarus's grave and he's standing there. Then they took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying, Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Come on. If Jesus is living in your heart, then you can say what Jesus says. Father, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that every prayer that I've ever prayed, you've always heard me, if it's in line with God's will. That's why Jesus could say, you, could, you always heard me because you always prayed in line with the will of the Father. He doesn't, so I don't, you can pray prayers like that. If you read the Bible and you read prayers and you pray prayers according to the Bible, He will always hear you. I'm gonna just finish, but, and I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I say, I, by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. 
Isn't it interesting that you can have a conversation with God privately and then have a conversation with God, with God publicly so that the people can believe that God is sending you with a message? Hallelujah. There are things that I prayed before God this morning before I came here. I didn't have the full answer of those things that I prayed out in the Spirit until I got here sitting on the front row. I got you and then I began to understand what God wanted some things to happen in this service today. Hallelujah. Which is why I came up to Garth at the, and, and I had a word with him and say, is there anything preventing us from singing these songs at the end? Because after this message, we are gonna touch God with our worship and our praise. Colossians chapter three, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. You wanna know how to touch God? You have the right, God has given you the ability to put on tender mercies. In other words, if someone has offended you and you don't like what they're doing, put on tender mercies towards them. You have much more power in tender mercies that you have in due of that you, you can do in the way that culture says you must deal with the problem. People might say, if you walk in love and tender mercies, you appear weak. No, strength is in tender mercies because it's in God. The whole world thought Jesus was weak when he stood in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power to take your life? And he says, no man has the power to take my life except I lay it down. But the whole world thought Jesus was weak because he proclaimed himself to represent the Father and represent God, yet he was being taken captive. And then he went through the most severe beating anybody would ever, ever have. But all the while, the thing that was driving him was tender mercies because he understood that my beating is for everybody in the future and God's mercy needs to come to people for generations and generations. And every stripe that they lay on my back is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of absolute controlled power and strength. And you can put a crown of thorns on my head and you can beat my body and you can spit on me and you can pull out my beard and you can riddle me. But every single moment is tender mercies at work and the power of God is being released in every bit of thing that I'm taking. But the world system says, don't let people walk over you. And if they don't do things the way that you'd like them to do, just obliterate them. Politically maneuver them out of your life. Kindness, kindness. You want to touch God, be kind to somebody. Do it today, wherever you go. Do it this week. Find somebody in the car park and be extravagant beyond what you would ever do when you come to somebody in the car park or somebody fills up your gas tank. See what kindness does to somebody. See what kindness does. What about humility? You touch God when you have humility. You don't touch God through pride. Pride is 
In fact, one of the seven things that God hates is a prideful look because He hates it. Read it in the book of Proverbs. Meekness. Meekness is just power under control. Long-suffering. I refuse to quit on God and what His Word is, says for my life. I refuse to do that. That's long-suffering. If I don't see the result yet, I'm going to keep pressing until I see the result. It's long-suffering. You touch God with these things. Can I start again? Therefore, as the elect of God, you, the elect of God, holy and beloved. You might not know this, but you are holy. As you sit here today, you are holy. Why are you holy? Because your spirit man has Jesus in it. And Jesus is holy. The real you is holy. Your body might not yet be sanctified or your thought process, but you are holy. To some people, that's a sacrilege to say I'm holy. But in the book of Peter, he says, be holy even as I am holy. Because you are. You're completely righteous before God. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. If you want to touch God, function in forgiveness. I ask you this question. If you're operating in forgiveness and someone else is not, where do you think the power lies? Where do you think the power lies? So in the short term, I'm gonna give you an example of something that happened to me in the corporate world. I'm, I'm, I'm moving along as quick as I can because we need to have time at the end here. But something that happened to me in the corporate world is, is that I got promoted, I had a lot of paperwork, I had a lot of stuff to do, a lot of new things to manage and uh, a tender that uh, request for proposal that we were responded to got, got mixed up in my paperwork. And then I, as I was going through my paperwork, I discovered I'd neglected to respond or delegate this request for proposal to a salesperson. So I knew the people, the reason actually we got invited for the request for proposal is because the company that was doing it, I had a long-standing relationship with the IT director of that company and he knew me. And so even though I had changed companies, he asked me for a request for a proposal. Now I know I've let him down because I'm supposed to respond and I've only got two or three days and we're not going to make it in time. It's a complicated request for proposal. So I phoned him. His name was Eric. I phoned him. I said, Eric, I've got to apologize to you. You know, I've, I've been promoted. You know all about that. Yes, John, congratulations, all that kind of stuff. I said, I've dropped the ball, Eric. You asked for a request for a proposal. The date you've set, we can't make it. So if you want to go ahead with a request for a proposal without our proposal, please go. But I can't respond in time to this. I said, but if you want us to have a meaningful opportunity here, I need you to extend the time frame by two weeks so that we can properly listen. So he said, John, I thank you for your honesty. You have the two weeks. I'll just write a letter to all the people I've asked. It's the closed request for a proposal. I'll send a letter to them and you have the two weeks. I took that to salesperson, 
gave it to a senior salesperson in, that was working for me and I, I told him the whole story. Next thing, I'm being called into the, many, the managing director and the human resources director's office. What about this thing here, John? I said, yes, I dropped the ball. So, they, so I explained to them what I did. So he said, we have a charge against you. We have been, a, a, an accusation has been laid against you by this senior sales guy that you're unprofessional, you do this, you do this, and he's coming after you. So I said, well, I can't defend myself. I tell you that's the truth. That's what happened. So whatever you must do, you must do. I, I have no defense. If you, he's right. I did it. But I phoned the customer. I apologized to the customer. I have a, I have a change. And they were ready to hear us. That already should tell you that we have a trust relationship with this customer. And that should already tell you that we already have advantage in this place. We hear you, John. But because there's been an accusation against you, we have to take this very seriously because your behavior was unprofessional. I said, I understand. I came home, I prayed about it. I spoke to Pastor Sharon about it. The next day I went in and I asked for an audience with him and I handed in my resignation. I tendered my resignation. I said, guys, I don't want to put you in an awkward position. This is something that you, have to, that you have to do. You have to take action on this because I'm a senior person in the company. There's an accusation against me. You have to do something about this. I'm taking it out of your hands. I'm resigning. They said, no, 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 John. We don't accept your resignation. We just need some time. So two days later, they called me back in and they said, John, we're taking no action against you. We consider your behavior to be absolutely professional. Even though you let the job that we know what kind of pressure you've been under, you, you behaved it ethically, morally, and professionally correctly. But we have to deal with this accusation. So we're gonna take this salesman out of your department, move him to another department, and you're just gonna go ahead and we'll find someone to take his replacement and we'll have to deal with, um, how, and let's do it together. So I said, well, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for handling it in this manner. No, no, John, you, you are too valuable to us. And that salesman is valuable to us. No problem. So I go walking around the office. Most of it was an open plan. And, and because I was a senior person, I had a, in the window, in the corner, had a nice office there. But it's all open plan. But I had, you know, all these things around my office. So I'm walking around the office and the next minute I began to hear talk, you know, don't take John on politically because he's got, he's got an inside track. He's a blue-eyed boy. He's going to nail you. Don't take John on politically. So I heard, I heard this. I just heard the rumors, you know. So I walked up to the salesman who was standing there in the, in the thing. He's busy packing his, he's packing his, uh, his uh, desk up so that he can go and move into another department. And I walked up to him and I said to him, I just want to tell you, I have, no, I have no hard feelings towards you about what you did. I understand exactly why you did it. The real motive behind it is that he wanted to take my job. He was a very ambitious young man and he was out to, be, to take my job. 
So I said, I got no hard feelings. And I want to tell you, as far as we're concerned, whatever you need from me in that new position, you have it. I made it, I spoke loudly so everybody could hear. Well, we shook hands and we agreed and off he went. I think it was three or four months later, he was hijacked outside of his house. They stole his car, they beat him up. One thing after the other started going wrong with him. Eventually he resigned from the company and he moved to Dubai. He said, I've got to get out of this country. This has all turned bad for me. I didn't ask God to do that. And, and God didn't do it. But what happened? What happened is that I walked in forgiveness. I walked in meekness. I walked in humility. I walked in the power of God. And because I chose God's way, God protected me. I touch God every day and in your corporate life, whatever it is, maybe you work for yourself, maybe you walk in a corporate place, maybe you work somewhere else. If you go with God's ways rather than what the world says you have to do, you, God will bless you. There is this culture that happens that work, you know, sometimes that you get paid on a, on a fixed rate and, and the job that you do is just a, 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 a menial job and it's just a process and you just have to do the same thing over and over again. And so people often think in those circumstances, you know, I've got to be here for eight hours or 12 hours. So the least that I do, the, the better it is for me. That's not the way God would want you to do. God would want you to say, put the most in that you can and trust God. Let God work with your life. Do you understand that touching God and touching His ways has a direct impact on what happens to your future? Do you understand that? Do you see what I'm saying? You're either in bed or you're in red. So, if anyone has a, a but, uh, verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or maturity. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is how you touch God. Let the peace of God. The peace of God is there for it to rule in your heart, but you don't have, but if you don't choose it, it won't rule your heart. It won't rule your mind. You've got to let the peace of God rule. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. You want to know how to touch God? Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. If you can't sing with a voice, sing in your heart. Hey, but what's in your heart will come out of your mouth. You don't have to have a good voice to write in your car and sing to the Lord. You don't have to be in a place where you are. Uh, Even if you're working in a corporate space and you're really pressured, I used to do this when I was in the corporate world. I, I, was, I was often under a lot of pressure, a lot of people in my face all the time. And I would just get up from my desk and I would walk to the toilet, go to the bathroom, 
I'd go into the, I'd go into the cubicle and I would just quietly begin to praise the Lord. And if I wasn't anybody wanting my attention while I was walking in the passage, I would just say, I praise you, Jesus. I praise you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you. And I used to make confessions about being debt-free and having the miracle power of God working in my life and financially prospering me. And I would, I would make his peace my portion. Would make his peace my portion. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing other in Psalms and in the spiritual songs. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, one more, two more scriptures. And after the last scripture, as I read the last scripture, I'm, I'm gonna ask the the music ministry to come up. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. This is what we do every Tuesday night when we pray. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is how you touch God. For, all, for kings and all are in authority that we may lead a peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. If you do this, you touch God. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, I want to just quickly tell you, show you, if you're a person that is touching God regularly every day, but you have this world system coming at you, but you're touching God, how are you going to respond to the issues? You're going to have that strength. You're going to have that peace. You're going to be able to hear from God, what do I do next? So what if you are somebody that is so overcome by the cultural ways of this world, the everyday going to work stuff that, that wants to bring you down to immaturity and now you're faced with issues, what do you do? You handle it the way immature people handle it. You don't handle it the way God handles it. You handle it the way immature people handle it. And so what's the outcome of that? You, you don't know. You think you can control every outcome. It's not possible. And nobody starts out trying to control an outcome thinking that they can't control it. That's my time up. Nobody starts out trying to fix a problem thinking they can't control it. They're always starting out saying, I know I can control this. That's why they make the decisions they make. But God, but God, the, uh, the example that I just gave you, that guy thought he had me dead to rights. At the very least, they can't keep John in that position. They've got to move him somewhere else. At the very least, that opens the door for me to come into that position because I'm the next most senior guy in line for to come in. At the very least, temporarily, I will be able to run the sales team. But God, but God said to me, John, you do this. You do this. You go and resign. And so people would say, but what would you do? How would God take care of you? I had to do with the wisdom of God does. And so when I dealt with the situation the way God would deal with it, my outcome was not just positive. My outcome continued to be great. In fact, what I did there raised, they told me this later, it raised 
my estimation, the estimation that they had of me, it raised their estimation because they recognized that I handled the situation with maturity. And in the same way that I dealt with a customer, I also dealt with my management that way. It ultimately led, for, led to me getting shares in the company, being promoted in the company again, and having an outcome that no one thought that would be in that moment. They thought they had me done. <laughs> you see, because I love touching God, I integrate my ways with God. This is not a hard thing for me to integrate my ways with God because I'm touching Him. I'm touching, He's touching me, I'm touching Him. So I can integrate my ways because I touch Him. I let His Word, I let the worship that is in the sound and song that comes from our ministry, I let it penetrate my life, flow over me daily. I give thanks to God daily. I touch God daily. And so what happens, I used to do this in the corporate world. So what happens is that my responses were always spiritual. Okay, so now finally I must allow you to see what touch does. Matthew chapter 26, verse six. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it out on his head and sat at the table. And when Jesus, when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached and, the whole, and in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. I wanna to say to you that this woman took a very, very valuable costly item that was an entire year's worth of salary or wages and just poured it on Jesus. And the offering was so extravagant. The offering was so extravagant that the disciples were offended by the offering. It was also the very deed that exposed Judas because betrayal was in his heart because of the offering. You want to watch, if you want to experience the touch of Jesus, what she did was she came to worship him with the most expensive gift she had. And I say to you, I'm not asking for money here. We've taken up the offering this morning. I'm asking you to give God the most expensive gift that you've got. What's that? It's your time. It's your energy. And it must come from your heart. If you'd give God your heart 
and you give him your time, it's a fragrance that permeates everywhere. It's a fragrance. Do you think some of the people that I'm connected with, a lot of people have got, can the sound, sound guys come up please? The, 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 the people that I'm connected with, they've suffered such persecution because they're such extravagant givers. And so people that are in a religious mindset, they, they can't handle such extravagant giving because it's such a powerful place of worship and restoration and God uses it to restore relationships. Such power was in this gift that God said her relationship with me will be remembered for eternity and forever men will talk about this gift that she has given. It has restored her relationship with me so completely that forever men will talk about the restoration of relationship. And here we are today talking because she took an expensive gift and gave it to Jesus, poured it on Him. Everybody, just, just understand this. When she walked out of there because she handled the perfume, her whole life, her whole life, she walked out there smelling with the same fragrance. Everybody that was in that room had the same fragrance. It was impossible for you not to be touched by that fragrance because it was such an extravagant gift. And I want to encourage you today that if you will have your relationship with God restored, let Him touch you. You touch Him. Make a choice in your heart. I want to touch God. I want Him to touch me daily. I want to touch Him daily. I promise you that your extravagance of your breaking of bread this week will begin to change you. It will become a fragrance that begins to fall all around you because you will be Christ-minded. You will be inside your real man-minded, not about all the external superficial customs that want to drag you down into a level of immaturity and make you live the way everybody else lives. There's no glory there. There's no honour there. There's no purpose there. There's no power there. There is nothing that God can use there if you do it all for yourself, by yourself, with yourself. But if you take all of yourself and say, here I am, Lord. I don't know how I'm gonna do this every day, but I'm doing it right now because I can only make a choice in this moment. You can't make a choice for the moments to come, but you can make a choice in this moment. And every time you choose this moment being the moment that you're in to say, I worship you and I'm giving my sacrifice of my thanksgiving, my praise, my kindness, my meekness, my gentleness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a person that walks in these things and I'm gonna be God conscious because I break bread every day. And when we come into this weekend and you've been breaking bread every week and you've been fasting, God is gonna touch us and His presence is gonna fill this place. His presence is gonna be filling you and filling this place. And our praises and our worship is gonna to go to a new level this coming weekend. And our fasting and our preparation in the presence of God, we are gonna go from glory to glory, from the next level to the next level. I told you we wanna prepare ourselves for Brother Jerry who's gonna come in, 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 in uh, January. And I'm telling you, this is part of our beginning of our preparation that we're just gonna worship Him and give ourselves to Him this weekend. Hallelujah. If you've got something else already planned, cancel it and come. Hallelujah.